Hi, my name is Tyler Mowry, and welcome to the Writer's Mind Podcast, Episode 5. All right, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, uh, I'm actually really excited to talk about what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about a concept uh, called the anti-conceptual mentality. So, this is a idea that was popularized um, by Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is a philosopher and an author, a writer, uh, and a thinker. She has... Uh, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with her, she is one of the leading figures in objectivism, which is a philosophy um, that I may return to uh, at a podcast at a later date and talk about her entire philosophy and all the different things that she talks about and goes into and um, how she looks at things, essentially. And, um, you know, another thing I want to remember in this podcast is just as we are discussing ideas, it's important to realize that um, I'm going to talk about a lot of different ideas and I hope that you will take the time to think about what you think about these ideas and go and do your own research and come to your own points of view. Um, Because I know that there will be different people who prefer certain people I speak about, you know, philosophy wise or prefer or not prefer certain ideas I speak about. And so, um, uh, you know, this entire podcast is about critical thinking and about developing your own mind so that you can have that writer's mind uh, to create legitimately great uh, works of art. And so um, I have this book here. Uh, This is called uh, the Ayn Rand Lexicon, um, if you can see that if you're watching the video. Um, it is uh, Objectivism from A to Z. Essentially, this is a huge summary of Ayn Rand's thoughts on a lot of different topics. And not just her thoughts, um, there's some other thinkers in here. Um, and this isn't necessarily the... Uh, like she, She's written a lot, so you may have heard of Atlas Shrugged. Uh, that's I believe her largest, most popular novel. Uh, she also wrote Fountainhead. Um, she wrote a book called The Virtue of Selfishness, Selfishness, and she's written a lot of different essays and articles and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, it would be interesting for you to, to check her out. But today, um, we are not going to be going through her entire philosophy. We are going to talk about this idea of the anti-conceptual mentality. So when I talk about this, you know, what do I mean? Well, you have to, to have the anti-conceptual mentality, you need to have an understanding of what an anti-concept is. So, let me hold this here. So, um, an anti-concept as defined by Rand in this book um, is an unnecessary and rationally unusable term designed to replace and obliterate some legitimate concept. So, let me... <laughs> Uh, you know, break that down and make a little bit more clear. So, essentially what Rand talks about in regards to um, 
anti-concepts and then the anti-conceptual mentality is this idea that um, things that are in our lives um, are not are not givens of life, right? Things are not um, fundamentally, they're not, let me explain, let me explain. A car, for example, is a machine that is made up of all these other things, right? It's made up of all these other little machines within it, and it's made up of minerals and metals and plastics and all of these things and an entire process that creates that car, right? A car is not um, a part of nature. A car is not, uh, you know, a given. A car is a a construct of mankind, right? We built cars, we um, we created the concept of a book. We created the concept of a laptop, of a microphone, of the camera, if you're watching this on YouTube, and of a podcast platform, if you're listening to this somewhere else. All of these things are built by us. And that's clear. We know that. We realize this. But this also applies to our ideas and our categorizations of ideas and of concepts. And so... Uh, what she says in this um, is, she says, the anti-conceptual mentality takes most things as irreducible primaries and regards them as self-evident. It treats concepts as if they were uh, uh, percepts. It treats abstractions as if they were perceptual concretes, right? So, to such a mentality, everything is the given. The passage of time, the four seasons, the institution of marriage, the breeding of children, a flood, a fire, an earthquake, a revolution, a book, are phenomena of the same order. The distinction between metaphysical and the man-made is not merely unknown to this mentality, it is incommunicable. So, what this means is that when you're in an anti-conceptual mentality, you're not able to break these things down farther than uh, your just initial observations of them. The institution of marriage is a great example that she writes here, right? Marriage is is a concept that we have in our society, and you have to, you know, as a critical thinker, you then have to start breaking that down, and you have to say, okay, well, what is marriage? Who created marriage? Was, cre- was marriage created by God? Was marriage created by a religion? Is marriage uh, a word that we call this, um, you know, evolutionary pairing of two people for survival and children, uh, you know, child rearing purposes? You know, uh, why do why does it exist in the form that it exists today? You know, f- for example, in... Um, America, we have uh, legal elements in regards to marriage. We have laws in regards to marriage. You sign a marriage license. Um, If you divorce, there are ramifications for that. There are tax breaks and tax benefits for people who are married. And so you have this entire idea that is built on all these other rules and all these other histories and and ways that we've uh, interacted as people. And then you have this final thing, which is the concept of marriage, right? And to a person existing within an anti-conceptual mentality, they're just holding marriage as an idea of like, oh, people get married and marriage is what we do and that's how it is, right? 
And so that hopefully that gives you an idea of, of what I'm talking about here. Um, some other terms that RAN identifies as anti-concepts are, uh, and, and, and anti-concepts being things that people believe are irreducible, but actually have all these other extra elements and pieces and um, specifics that are important to understand and know. Um, some other terms that Rand identifies as anti-concepts are consumerism, duty, ethnicity, extremism, isolationism, meritocracy, simplistic. So these are terms, these are abstractions that mean something in our world, right? When you hear the word consumerism, there's a, it gives you a, a, a connotation. You, uh, you likely understand, you have an idea of what that means, consumerism, people consuming things. And largely we have a connotation that consumerism is bad. I'm not saying it's good, but that's the connotation that we have in, in our society. Consumerism equals bad, right? But there's a lot going on in this idea of consumerism, right? You know, what do we mean when we say that? People mean different things. People, you know, you can mean a, this, you know, deep lust to, um, you know, buy everything in sight and take everything for yourself. Um, but, or you can also look at this and say, you know, consumerism is people consuming products produced by them from other people. And that's the, there's not really a moral element in that view of it, right? Um, the point here is that, there are ideas that are, you know, multi-leveled. And you can look at, uh, the, what happens is when you get into an argument um, about these concepts, they become presuppositions, right? So this idea of like um, consumerism equals bad or marriage is something that people do in society always and that's what people do. People get married and that's what you should do, right? You are then presupposing a concept that has all these extra layers into it that is important to define and important to understand if you're actually going to have a productive conversation about that idea, that concept. And so what happens is people use these concepts to say, oh, you know, of course that thing is bad, or of course that thing is good, or of course this is what we should do. And you as a critical thinker, have to take the time to examine those things. So you have to go through and you have to find the different things in your world that are anti-concepts or where you are things in your world where you are in an anti-conceptual mentality, where you are holding on to presupposed truths that you actually have not thought about at all. Um, you know, I'm not going to make this a political podcast whatsoever, but um, you can have things like conservatism or liberalism be these irreducible concepts, right? There's all sorts of, of specifics required to break down those two ideas. But what we do is we use them as completed concepts with no extra pieces under them. There's no details. It's just, you know, the liberalism, liberal mentality is this. Conservative mentality is this. And I think that's, um, that's a problem, right? That's a problem for you as a thinking person. But it's also an advantage for you as a thinking person because it allows you to take the time to think about these different concepts that people are presupposing as 
you know, just bottom level truth about how the world works. And it allows you to examine how those things work, ideally in a story as a writer. Um, I want to read a little bit more about this. Um, uh, Rand says that this type of mentality has learned to speak, but has never grasped the process of conceptualization. Concepts to him are merely some sort of code signals employed by other people for for some inexplicable reason, signals that have no relation to reality or to himself. Mental action, i.e. mental effort, any sort of processing, identifying, organizing, integrating, and critical evaluation or control of his mental content is an alien realm. And uh, so this mentality, I think, is very dangerous um, because what you're doing is you're not actually integrating any sort of ideas into your own view of the world as much as you are just taking this broad concept and saying, oh, here's this definition of how this operates and there it is. It's done. There's no elements to that, right? I think you can get into a lot of danger with that and it makes it very hard to be a thinking person when all you do is uh, reduce concepts to the the most broad op- approximate sentence or two definition of that concept, right? Going back to the marriage analogy, there's all sorts of elements to that and it's important to understand, right? For example, um, if you are like, okay, let's say you are a part of a religion that promotes marriage, right? Christianity, um, uh, Islam, um, I think, you know, most uh, major religions, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, many of them are promoting some, uh, marriage of some form. Um, it's fairly cross-cultural as an idea, right? But there's also all sorts of different meanings within those different cultures about what marriage is and how it looks like and what it means on like a deeper level. There's also an idea of the state or government and its role in this cultural concept that we have called marriage. And it's interesting, you know, in American culture, for example, you have people getting married in uh, one of the dominant religions here uh, is Christianity. And you have this Christian side of uh, marriage where you are, two people are joining together before God And then you also have this legal side and those are sort of two different things. Um, And even, even that is such a, uh, just taking one little step down and saying like, okay, let's define what we're talking about here. When we talk about marriage, okay, well, we're talking about this thing that actually has at least two elements to it. We have this sort of religious element and we have this legal element. And then you can break that down much, 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 much further. But the idea is is that, essentially, that it is important for you as a thinking person to take the time to understand the concepts that are around you and um, understand that there is nuance and there are layers to these ideas that we just take for granted. Um. And what happens with the anti-conceptual mentality um, is is the fact that you end up being involved in some sort of group 
that is not doing any thinking, but everybody in that group just sort of agrees on how the world works. Um, so for example, um, let's see here. So she says, um, <clears throat> so she says there is one con constant in the anti-conceptual mentality, uh, mental flux and the, the, a person who's holding this, um, idea. The subconscious is an integrating mechanism. When left without conscious control, it goes on integrating on its own. And like an automatic blender, his subconscious squeezes its clutter of trash to produce a single basic emotion, fear. So what is she saying here? What happens is when you get within an ideology, for example, you then hold to that ideology no matter what, right? This can be a religious ideology. This can be a political ideology. This can be a cultural ideology. What happens is people grasp them. They grasp these ideologies. And then no matter what happens, they push other ideas completely away. The reason for this is because any other ideas can become a threat to their view of the world. Because their view of the world is built upon this idea that Certain things are just the way they are, and they haven't done any thinking to examine why certain things are just the way they are. And so then you get into this fear. You get into this fear where you have people who disagree with you are the enemy, you know, and because any sort of disagreement means that they are attacking who you are as a person because your ideology is part of your identity. What you believe is part of your identity. It's a massive part of your identity. That's why I talk all the time about how in stories, what characters believe dramatically changes what they do and who they are. It's one of the most important things about you, what you believe. And so if you hold on to an ideology that you haven't actually done any thinking about, and then somebody comes along and tells you, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? This is a threat not only to what you believe, but who you are. And so it makes it hard for you to go down paths of critical thinking when you're stuck in this mindset and also makes it harder to write because you're not actually getting into any new place or finding out any new information or doing any real self-reflection because you are just regurgitating the ideas of a particular group that you exist within, whether that's culturally or, you know, politically or religiously or whatever that could be as big or as small as you know it, it, it can be extremely small things and it can be huge global things uh, and um <clears throat> so talking about this idea of group talking about having this idea of like a group ideology <clears throat> uh rand writes if his professed beliefs i.e the rules and slogans of his group are challenged he feels his consciousness dissolving in fog Hence, his fear of outsiders. The word, the word outsiders to him means the whole wide world beyond the confines of his village or town or gang. The world of all those people who do not live by his rules. He does not know why he feels that outsiders are a deadly threat to him and why they fill him with helpless terror. Protection from outsiders is the benefit he seeks in clinging to his group. What the group demands in return is obedience to its rules, which he is eager to obey. 
Those rules are his protection from the dreaded realm of abstract thought. So, um, you know, it's hard to give it, it's hard to give examples for this because ironically, when I give examples of people existing within an anti-conceptual mentality, it then triggers people's anti-conceptual mentalities to believe they understand what I'm saying and believe that the other guy is wrong, right? So for example, let me, let me, you know, uh, Rand in the, in the book right here, she says right after this, she says, racism is an obvious manifestation of the anti-conceptual mentality, right? This idea that, you know, you just, you hate a group and that's kind of it. There's no elements to that. There's no deeper thinking. There's no understanding of why that might be the case of why, uh, why you feel a certain way. Um, you know, why others might feel a certain way towards you. Um, but the problem with citing racism, for example, is that then it's easy to say, oh, racists have this idea. Racists are holding to an anti-conceptual mentality. Therefore, I am correct and these people are wrong. And, um, you know, I don't have to do any more thinking. And while racists are wrong, the problem that you could come into is this idea that, oh, I've done all this work, right? I know that, you know, these people over here are clearly wrong as a group, but my group is right, right? And now you're kind of back to where you started, right? You're back in this idea that, um, you know, your group is right and everyone else is wrong. And so then, and again, this is another problem with creating uh, concrete examples is then, you know, you get into an idea of like uh, someone saying, oh, wait, what do you mean? Are you saying, uh, you know, uh, some racists are good? (laughs) And then, you know, now we're getting into this sort of meta idea of what really is an anti-conceptual mentality? Because I think all sorts of people everywhere are walking around with this idea. And I think you can also have it compartmentalized where certain parts of your mind are existing within this anti-conceptual mentality and other parts of your mind are not existing within it because you've done the critical thinking to work through your own ideas in another direction, but you haven't done it over, over here, you know? And so then you get into this whole idea of, um, you know, how does this how does this apply to the real world? Well, I think how this applies to the real world is that you take the time to understand what people mean when they say certain concepts, right? You know, I think um, you know, the, like even even using the the example of racism as both. You, you know what's interesting? This this is what it is, right? This idea of like racism and also um, elements of anti-racism are both elements of this anti-conceptual mentality, right? Where, you know, a person who is racist is saying that this people group, you know, for the color of their skin or for where they're from or whatever are just bad, period. And that's a clear example of a the flaw in this thinking, this idea of anti-conceptual mentality. But then you have another side where 
you have this idea of anti-racism and you then you have people who are unable to see any sort of nuance in regards to you know uh, people who exist in the world right and they will you know someone does something wrong or someone does something in a gray area or someone makes a mistake whatever that may be and then you have a band of people ready to say you know ready to label another person things ready to label them racist label them whatever and then sort of write them off as a person um and then go along their merry way and this is also a clear example of the anti-conceptual mentality and so i think it can be all over the place and i think that you know you can hold up certain opinions are clearly wrong and certain opinions are clearly or or certain certain viewpoints i would say are are very heavily uh more right seeming than others right more correct seeming more morally correct um however that doesn't mean that like you can both be right and you can also um be in an anti-conceptual mentality just because you're correct doesn't mean you've actually done the personal critical thinking required to understand what you're talking about and have your own viewpoint uh built around an idea right so that taking that and making it coming back to this idea that I'm talking about just because a person is anti-racist or not racist, for example, doesn't mean that they have done any sort of work to formulate their own opinions on how human beings should operate with one another, you know, with the realities that some of this stuff exists. And, you know, you have a clash of cultures and, and, a, a working out of problems over time that must take place. Does that make sense? So that was a little bit of a tangent there, I guess, but I hope, hopefully this starts to um, make sense, right? So this idea, uh, one of the things she writes here is tribalism is the best name to give all group manifestations of the anti-conceptual mentality. And tribalism is a great way to talk about this idea where you have groups running around deciding who is good and who is bad. You know, you have religions doing that. You have political groups doing that. You have nations doing that. You have all sorts of different groups of people doing that. Um, you know, you can have that as, as large as a nation and you can have it as small as a high school clique existing within a tribalistic mentality based upon anti-concepts, based upon beliefs that, oh, this person is this way, this way, and this way, therefore they are part of the in-group or they are part of the out-group. Um, I'm hoping this is making sense um, because I want this podcast to be about these ideas. I want it to be about thinking about these ideas, about thinking on this level, about taking apart your own mental constructs and putting them on the table and taking time to figure out what you think about things. You know, for example, uh, another great example, right? So this is a, this is uh, a book by Ayn Rand or Ayn Rand, whatever. And um, there will be people who listen to this podcast and are upset at the fact that I am 
uh, looking at Rand, right? She has a lot of really interesting ideas, uh, not all of them super popular. And um, what will happen is people will take me even speaking about this book here as a full endorsement of Rand's beliefs. And that is an and that is a uh, example of someone using or being within an anti-conceptual mentality in practicality, right? They see me and they say, "Oh, this person, they said some things that I don't agree with and I heavily disagree with." And so now, um, you know, me, I am associated with with this book and with this line of thought. Therefore, this person is cut off, right? Great example of this, um, of this line of thinking. And, um, you know, I want to be able to avoid that. And I'd like for us to do our best to avoid that. And the more that we can stand on our own two feet and use our own brains to decide what we think about different concepts, the better we're going to be, not just as thinkers, but also as writers. And I think without doing the, um, the difficult work of that, of breaking down what you think and disagreeing with the people around you and um, trying to form your own opinions uh, and trying to form nuanced views of how certain things operate. Um, you know, without doing that, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that that's, I want us to be able to evolve as thinkers, because if we can evolve as thinkers, we can evolve as writers. And if we can evolve as writers, then we can change the entire cultural uh, thought process by, by allowing uh, people to think about the ideas that we bring them through storytelling. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there's much, obviously this book is huge and maybe, maybe we'll return to it later, but, um, I hope that that gives you a little bit of this idea of what anti, what the anti-conceptual mentality is. And ideally I'd like you to take some time and go into your own life and say, okay, what are the things that I am presupposing as true without doing any sort of thinking about it on my own? You know, have you ever truly thought about the religious point of view that you hold? Um, do you just have a point of view that your parents hold or that your culture holds? Um, you know, uh, what's interesting, actually, another way to, to look at this is in history, right? You have a view of history largely because of what you were told in school, right? You have a history of your nation and your world and a general understanding of what's happened globally, but like and you're basing your entire understanding of history off of that. And you're assuming that all these people told you the correct thing and that you have a pretty good idea. But I think that's a pretty prideful stance to take. This idea that you read a couple books and uh, listen to a few teachers tell you some things and suddenly you have a comprehensive view of history. Or, have you, or you have a comprehensive view of your own culture. 
So I think it's important to take these to take this time and to figure out what you actually do think about certain ideas and certain concepts and seek out some books. Um, find some things you disagree with, you know? <sighs> find some things that keep you up at night a little bit, you know? Find some, find some thinkers who can give you a reasoned view of the world that makes you say, oh, wow, I have to deal with these concepts now. I have to deal with this viewpoint. How does that integrate with my own understanding of how the world works, you know? And I think also, um, let me grab this. So this is, um, uh, this is Rand's Atlas Shrugged, uh, which is her most popular novel. And um, I actually really love that she wrote a novel, you know? Agree or disagree with Rand and we can go into all of that or whatever. But, you know, she's a philosopher. She's a thinker. She's developing a worldview. And she writes stories, right? And I think that that's, that's a really powerful thing. And even looking at a book like this, which has a clear philosophical viewpoint in it, a clear philosophical viewpoint, um, it's good to do that. Because you can get an understanding of how she is communicating a philosophy and a worldview through a story. Just like I talk about on my YouTube channel and how I've talked about um, in my course and on this podcast as well. I think it's fascinating to think about and it's it's wonderful looking at a person's point of view philosophically through a story. Um, and um, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to listen to episode six, episode six is up on the Patreon right now. If you sign up for the Patreon, you get four extra episodes every month uh, along with the Discord. And um, other than that, I will see you guys next week.